Today's message was recorded for Wednesday, August 12, 2020. I'd like to welcome you once again to Central Park Neighborhood Church. This is our uh, midweek service. It's a teaching time, and the teaching time that we are looking at the subject of Joseph in the book of Genesis. And we're considering his life and all the different houses that he was in, his father's house and Pharaoh's house and many other houses that we will look at uh, as we go through this series. But we look at these houses that he is in and for a period of time, and there we relate them to seasons, seasons. And that's how we began this series is with thinking and talking and studying about seasons and that each one of us as individuals are involved in and we live in different seasons. Some of us are in times of fruitfulness. Some some of us are in a time of uh, barrenness. Maybe it's winter, but it's a season. It won't last too long. It will be just long enough to produce what is needed to be produced so that you can move on and change can come and that you can move on and find yourself in a new season in living for God in a greater way, in a greater knowledge, and a greater understanding of Him. And we left off this last time in the house of Jacob, the father of Joseph, and we we looked at uh, several different things in the house of uh, Jacob that involved uh, Joseph's life. We see that his he was the son of his old age, and so his father loved him. He gave him a coat of many colors. He had distinction. He had the father's love upon his life. Uh, in his father's house, he had two dreams. In these two dreams, it, as we look at his life, we'll find that it, there's a process that he goes through to bringing the fulfillment uh, of the dreams that God had given him. So he has vision. He has purpose that's given to him in his father's house. And, and another interesting thing we, we considered was the fact that, you know, his brothers envied him concerning the dreams that God had given him, but his father uh, observed them. In other words, when the scripture says that he observed them, it means that he watched over them, he protected them, and he he... It was like a shepherd who makes a fold for the sheep, for the sheep to come into and they're protected in the night season. So you'll find that his father protected him and really was a watcher of the vision that God had given him to protect it and to oversee it and to see that it comes to pass. Then we also found that he was sent by his father to go check on his brothers. They were out uh, feeding the sheep and they were in Dothan, and uh, the Bible says that uh, his father sent him. And likewise, in his father's house, there's a sending. And just like in our lives, there is a sending of the Spirit of God. He sends us to do many different things. There, the body of Christ is a many-membered body, and because it's a many-membered body, the Spirit of God can send different members in different directions with different things to do in ministering to lives of people. Then we've seen that he comes and he sends him to Shechem. That was the place uh, uh, the place of burden, the place of responsibility that the Father had placed upon him. And so in the body of Christ, the Spirit of God comes to us. In the Father's house, the Spirit of God comes to us and he lays upon each of us responsibility. Responsibility, uh, amen, is a tremendous thing. It is a, it's an awesome thing. It's a, something that is 
that God is saying that our God trusts us. Our God uh, desires that we be used of him and the, the grace that he's given us is to flow forth from our life. So he puts upon us responsibility. And in this land uh, where of Dothan, it's the place of two wells. One was a dry well. One was a well that was gushing of living water. And we find that the, in this time that decisions were made that Joseph, by his brothers, were put into the dry pit. They didn't. They should have taken him and brought him to the living waters and refreshed him at that point, but they didn't. They conspired to kill him, and uh, they began to make decisions that spiraled, and, and really what these decisions did is they propelled Joseph on his way to fulfill the vision that God had given him. And these decisions weren't positive, but God used those negative things to bring about a positive in our lives. And so, consequently, it's a place of decisions. And we talked a little bit about there are different levels of decision makings. And we make decisions which uh, have become habit, really. It's like tying your shoes. Or if you don't have shoes that you tie, you just slip on. You don't think about it. You just simply find them. You slip into them or you reach down and you tie them up. It's something that you made a conscious decision uh, at some point in putting your shoes on. You learned to tie your shoes after you learned them. You didn't think about uh, each time you tie up your shoes, I will make a loop with the right hand, I will circle it with the left hand, and I will pull it through and make another loop, and then I will cinch it up tight. No, you learn those things, and they just become automatic. Those kinds of decisions require uh, no or really very little thought and very little energy. These types of decisions are a seemingly non-thinking decision, yet it is a decision that you make on a daily basis. We also said to get you out of bed and out the door in the morning to go uh, on a job, if that's what you're doing. Uh, I have counted about 126 decisions you make in order to get out the door in the morning. We don't think about it. It's because they're automatic. Uh, the second area of decision-making is those decisions which require some thought and energy. We call these thought-provoking decisions. You know, if your car breaks down, you know, you begin to think, well, now, is this something I can fix? Uh, do I need to find a mechanic? And, and the, the mechanic that I normally use, can he do this? Uh, can, is this something he can handle? I, I, I don't really know. And so you start calling around and you, you find out a place that you can take your car. And you know, how are you going to get your car there? It's broke down. Maybe you have to find someone to tow it. Maybe you have to call a tow truck. There are many decisions that are involved in in the fixing of this car. How much is it going to cost? And do I have the money? Well, we call these decisions thought-provoking decisions, and they require energy. They require some thought in order for you to complete what you need to do in bringing uh, this decision-making process to a completion and to a desired end that you say, yeah, this is good. Then the third area of decision-making involves life-changing decisions. You know, if you if you are moving to an area or you're taking on a new job, maybe you're maybe you're getting married. You know, a marriage is a lifelong decision, and uh, these are not things that should be entered into lightly. But these are things that are prayerfully made. These are things that are that are going to have a major bearing on your life for the rest of your life. Uh, buying a home, you know, how much are you going to pay for it, and uh, are you? Do you have a good job? And on and on and on. So 
The third area of decision-making, it involves life-changing decisions. It requires a lot more energy. It requires a lot more thought. And so uh, because of that, it weighs on you and uh, it requires of you to give it some consideration. I would like to give you eight principles of decision-making. Because decision-making is so important in our lives, I think it's important that we have some biblical biblical. Uh, principles for helping us and putting uh, guidelines for us to make good positive decisions. I don't know about you, but I've made decisions in life that uh, I I have to honestly say, you know, they weren't very good. And I paid a price for making those bad decisions. And I know that all of you that I'm talking to, you can say the same thing. You know, I've made decisions myself that weren't good, and I didn't get, didn't think this through, and be, I didn't really give it some, enough consideration, and I acted in haste, and I paid a price, and I, but I did learn, and I won't do that a second time. The first principle we want to talk about is the principle of peace. We find this in Colossians chapter three, verse fifteen. You know. Ask yourself, is the decision that I'm making, is it causing my peace to become unsettled or worrisome? Or is my peace, uh, is it in place? He says in verse 15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And he says, To the which also you are called in one body, and be thankful. The word peace itself means to join. To join. Well, what in this decision making and peace and joining, what's that mean? Well, God is the God of peace. And when he tells us, let the peace of God rule, it says, let's be joined to the peace of God. Let's be joined to the one who gives peace and the one, amen, who gives that which is needful in life, amen, to make it, well, easy, to make it uh, more compatible and make it livable, if I can say it that way, peaceful, a peaceful life. And he says, let the peace of God rule, ruling is to means to arbitrate, arbitrate. You know, when there, there's a problem, sometimes you bring an arbitrator between two people to resolve the differences. Well, when you're making a decision, there's you and there's that thing out there, that circumstance that you're dealing with. And peace is to be the arbitrator to bring you and your circumstance or whatever thing that you're going after, bring it together in a peaceful situation, in a peaceful way, and to make it fruitful in your life. It means to govern. So peace is not, is not there uh, just to arbitrate, but it is to govern. To govern. Uh, it's to be like an umpire. In a baseball game, you have an umpire. What does the umpire do? He calls all of the calls in the game. He calls the strikes. He calls the balls. He calls the hits. He calls people out. And, and those things which uh, seemingly are close and many times maybe upset you because the call didn't go the way you thought it should be, it didn't matter. Whatever the umpire called, that was the final decision. And not only is it uh, to govern and to be an umpire and to make decisions and, dis- and make decisions that, amen, uh, are to be peaceful and keep you joined to God, but the, there is an award that comes with it an award that comes with being joined with peace to God. And the award is that you live a life that is not all in confusion. It is not unfruitful, but it is a life that is peaceful. It is a life that continues on in growing in God. And then he tells us, uh, uh, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Well, this word heart really is the thoughts or the feelings of the mind. And he says, be thankful, be grateful. You know, feelings can be misleading. 
There's times when self-pity, sometimes anger, hurt, or a lack of understanding, you know, it can sway your decision-making process. Uh, you know, you look at these things, and uh, I'm really reminded of this movie some years back called The Field of Dreams by Kevin Costner. He was he was a star in the show, and all the baseball players used to come out of the field, and they would come, and they would play baseball. And uh, there was a famous line that came out of that movie, and it says, if you build it, they will come. If you build a stadium, people will come and watch the baseball players play. And I, I've I've heard people say, I've heard preachers say, you know, they use this line, if you build it, they will come. Well, let's go out and build this great big building, and if I build it, they will come. Well, that 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 really was a decision or a thought process that came out of a feeling of watching a movie that was moving, and you saw that it was successful. Well, sometimes feelings, you see, they sway us, but feelings uh, should not overrule the common sense. They should not overrule the peace that God wants to give you in making your decision process. So let's read a couple of scriptures here. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, uh, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, he says here, shall transcend all understanding. Peace of God's going to transcend all understanding. It will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's a powerful thing to think about what this peace of God is going to do. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, he says. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, he says. Put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. I like the way the, the living Bible says it. He says, do not fret or have any anxiety about anything, he says, but in every circumstance and in everything by prayer and petition, definite requests with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God. And then he says this, and God's peace be yours. That's tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God and content with its earthly lot of whatever sort it is, that peace which transcend all understanding, shall garrison and mound guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So he says, don't be anxious about anything. He says, amen, prayer, definite requests, make your requests known to God, and God's peace will guard you. The second principle we want to talk about is the Word of God principle. The Word of God's principle is what I'm going to do in this decision that I'm going to make. Is it going to violate anything in the Word of God? God tells us, he gives us guidelines. He gives us and tells us what he thinks, how he thinks, how we are to live life, and how we are to live life successfully. And so, you know, we, we need to consider the Word of God. The Bible says the whole Bible was given to us by inspiration of God. It's useful to teach us what is true. There it is. It's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, he says. It straightens us out. It helps us do what's right. It's God's way of making us well-prepared. Notice this. The Word of God makes us well-prepared at every point, fully equipped to do good to everyone. So there's an equipping that the Word of God gives to us. There are principles in the Word of God. For Just for an example, Luke 6, 38, a scripture we know very well. The Bible says, give and it shall be given unto you. Many times people say, well, you know, I want people to give to me first. Uh, it must, must come to me first. Uh, 
That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you give and then you receive. And we get it backwards many times. Well, sometimes in the decision-making process, uh, we get things backwards and we need to look at the Word of God, the Word of God principle, and find out from the Word, what does the Word teach us? What does it tell me? And use that in guidelining us in making our decisions. In making our decisions. Hallelujah. You know, I'm so thankful that God gives us principles to to guide our lives by. That's very peaceful in itself. The third thing, I call it the love test. Is what am I, I am going to do, does it violate God? Does it violate people? You know, the first and great commandment is love God and love neighbor as yourself. And so he tells us the love of God and the love of people. And those things he tells us not to violate. So it's the love test. And if we want to know what the love of God, uh, you know, what it what it is, and how it how it uh, tells us and guidelines it gives us. Let's just look in First Corinthians thirteen four through eight. Love endures long; it's patient; it's kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. It's not boastful or vainglorious. It does not display itself haughtily. It's not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It does not rejoice at injustice. I like what verse 7 says, love bears up under anything and everything that comes, that comes, that comes, and many things that come. But the word love of God bears up under all those things. So there's the love of God test. That's the number three. Number four, I call it the wisdom common sense test, is what I'm going to do, make good common sense. You know, I, I you watch... What people are doing in this day and age, and you wonder, where is common sense? Where, what, how are these people thinking? It's like common sense is just out the window, and there, there's just radical thoughts, radical actions, and no common sense to them at all. In Proverbs three thirteen through eighteen, it says, "The man who knows right from wrong and has good judgment and common sense is happier than the man who's immensely rich." For such wisdom is far more valuable than precious jewels. Nothing else compares with it. Wisdom gives. Now notice what he says. Wisdom gives. What does it give? A long, good life, riches, honor, pleasure, peace. There it is. Wisdom, peace. The common sense is connected to peace. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who eat fruit. Happy is the man who eats, keeps on eating it. Okay? Proverbs 4, 7 through 8 in the Living Bible. Getting wisdom is the most important thing you can do. What a statement. It's the most important thing you can do. And with your wisdom, develop what? Common sense and good judgment. So common sense and good judgment are connected with this getting wisdom. Proverbs 2, 6 through 10. For the Lord grants wisdom. His every word is a treasure of knowledge and understanding. He grants good sense to the godly, his saints. He grants good sense. If you exalt wisdom, she will exalt you. Hold her fast. She will lead you to a great honor. She will be a beautiful crown upon your head. So he's, the test here of wisdom and common sense needs to be part of that guideline that we find is to be involved in our decision making. The fifth test, I call it the focus test, is what I'm going to do, does it cause me to lose focus on the purpose that God has for my life. Ask yourself these different questions that I'm asking. 
Does this decision keep you in line with the known will of God for your life? Or does it sidetrack you into something else? Is this decision, is it going to keep you in line? Is it going to sidetrack you? Or is it going to propel you on into the things of God? Is it going to tie you up and cause you to uh, get involved in things that really are, I call it sucker growth. It's just something that shoots out and, and takes from the main tree and takes life from the main tree. In other words, it takes life from you and takes life from the focus that you have and the fruitfulness that God wants you to have. You know, focus is to be firm in conviction. Firm in your conviction. It channels your energy. It channels your faith. Focus keeps you on track. So there's the focus test that's involved with this whole thought process of making good decision. The sixth test, I call it the motive test. The motive test. What are my motives in making this decision? You know, are you making a decision to get ahead, but does it involve stepping on somebody else? What's your motive in that? You know, is this a decision that involves selfishness? Begin to analyze and begin to look, why am I making this decision? What, what, what about this? And, and how does it affect God? How does it affect others? And how does it affect me? And even when you, it talks here in, in James, and it says in James chapter 4, um, it talks about in verse 3, for the sake of time, I won't read the whole chapter, but I'll just read verse 3. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your whole aim is wrong. And you want only what will give you pleasure. So he's talking about here the motive test. What kind of a motive is really behind this decision you're going to make? make check your own motives and see. And realize that that is part of the decision-making process. The seventh test is what I call the fruit test. What is this decision going to produce? What is this decision going to produce? You'll find that, you know, uh, because we have made a decision to serve God and uh, uh, desire the Spirit of God in our life, when He comes in, He has fruit, love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faith. There is, a, there is some wonderful uh, fruit that comes from making that particular decision in your life. And so you find then that when you make a decision, what's the fruit that's going to happen? The Bible also talks about in Galatians 6, through, chapter 6, verses 7 through 10, it talks about sowing and reaping. It tells us, be not deceived. What a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. So in your decision, what are you sowing? What action are you partaking in and what are you going to do with this decision that you are making what's it going to do for you and what are you going to reap from it is it something you're going to reap spiritual things or are you going to reap fleshly things think about these things the fruit test the last one we want to talk about i call it the voice of the experience test what if anything does experience say about my decision you know there's no temptation that is not common to man. We've all gone through things. We've all experienced things. And uh, the older you get, the more you've experienced. And you can look down to the younger generation and you can say, yeah, I've kind of gone through that. And uh, this was the result. And, and you can speak uh, from a positive side. You can speak from a negative side. And you can speak 
amen, wisdom into the life of those younger than yourself. And I like what uh, Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, the Living Bible says. Uh, These are the Proverbs of King Solomon of Israel, David's son. He wrote them to teach his people how to live, how to act in every circumstance. For he wanted them to be understanding, just, and fair in everything they did. I want to make the simple-minded wise, he says. I want to make the simple-minded wise. I want to warn young men about some problems they will face. This is the voice of experience and the voice of a, of a father speaking to his children. I want those already wise to become wiser and become leaders by exploring the depths of meaning in these nuggets of truth. That's really talking about the book of Proverbs. How does a man become wise, he says. The first step is to trust and reverence the Lord. Only fools refuse to be taught. Listen to your father and mother. What you learn from them will stand you in good steed. It will gain you many honors. It's the voice of experience test. Include the voice of experience test in decisions that need that kind of a voice to be spoken into them. If you're going to the store to buy a a candy bar, that's one thing. If you're going... uh, Amen. Uh, you're going to go to this young lady's house and you're going to propose. You know, it's good to learn from those who walk the walk. Amen. And know what the pitfalls are in marriage and being hooked and joined together with someone. Well, that's that's part of that voice of experience. So I, I challenge you, take these different points that I have given you. Amen. And let them work in you and let them be guidelines for you in making good decisions. I The Lord bless you, and and may the Lord watch over us. May the Lord give us his wisdom, and may the Lord, amen, help us in all of the decisions that we make in life. Amen.